We are in a series this summer in what some call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. And so if you have your Bibles open to Romans 8, page 944, it's always helpful to have your Bibles open during not just the reading, but the the preaching of the Word, and maybe today particularly because I'm going to be pointing out certain words in this text, 12 through 17. And once you find that, would you turn left a few pages to Mark chapter 14, 851, if you're using the Blue Bible, we'll read several verses from Mark 14, beginning in verse 32. So, Mark 14, Romans 8. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. Romans 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You may be seated and let's take a few moments to reflect on God's Word. This morning, my primary objective is to give assurance, to give confidence to everybody who calls themselves a Christian that's in this room. My hope is that for me, for you, because of what the Apostle Paul has written here, that if you say you're a Christian, that you would know you're a Christian when you leave. You'd really know that you're a son and a daughter or a daughter of God, that that would shape your mind, it would shape your your soul. And there are several reasons I'm making that my goal this morning. One is that's the goal of Romans 8. Uh, One of the main purposes, if not the main purpose of Romans 8, is to give assurance. uh, The beginning of Romans chapter 1, there is, or chapter 8, there is now no condemnation. That's the opening phrase. That's the, the proclamation, the emancipation proclamation. Every, every sinner who is a slave is set free if they trust in Christ. In the last verse, there is now no separation. So Paul's trying to make sure, or God's trying to make sure, if you've really trusted in Jesus, I want you to know there is no condemnation. Amen? There is no condemnation, and because there's no condemnation, there never will be any separation. 
There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, as Paul ends the chapter. The second reason I'm trying to make this my goal, or I am making this my goal this morning, is that in my Southern Baptist church background, it seemed to me, now I was young and not a great listener, so I'm not blaming any past pastor I had, but it seemed to me that the preaching emphasis was placed on being saved, making sure people were saved, which I applaud, which I personally benefited from. However, there wasn't as much emphasis, again, from my perspective about what it meant to be saved or how to live with confidence once you are saved. But again, I was young, not a great listener, so I could have missed it. However, what I didn't miss is that on most baptism Sundays in this one church that I attended, there was always a mixture in the baptisms. There was the, the first time baptism and what else? The, the rebaptism. And I sat there as a middle school student scratching my head and thought, well, I guess that first baptism just didn't take for that guy. I mean, I couldn't figure it out. You know, I'd been baptized myself, and then that caused me to think, maybe mine, mine didn't take. I mean, I have been perfect since then. And, and so what happened, again, this is just for me, I got this warped sense of living in a turnstile of salvation. I, I got baptized, so I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Uh-oh, I messed up. Whoops, I'm out. I need to either get rededicated or rebaptized or say the sinner's prayer. I couldn't tell you how many times I said the sinner's prayer when I was in middle school. Because I kept thinking, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I just lived in that turnstile. So I was never confident whether I was really a child of God. So maybe a few of you can relate. Third reason, as a pastor, I have many occasions to talk to people about their faith. Or the faith of their parents or the faith of their child or the faith of their friend and I'll ask well are you a Christian or is your parent or child a Christian or it is or was your friend a Christian and pretty frequently the answer is well it's just kind of a long pause because they don't want to say no they just don't want to say no he's not a Christian or she's a Christian, but they're hesitate because they're not sure. They just can't say for sure. There's some lack of clarity, and so they hesitate. And, of course, when you're answering for somebody else, you might need to hesitate. You might not know. But I, I don't want you to hesitate. That's the whole thing. I don't want you, if somebody asks you, are you a Christian? I want you to say, yes. Yes, I'm not. I'm trying you know, if somebody says they're trying, you just know they don't quite have the gospel right. I'm not saying they're not saved. But it's not about you trying. It's about what's been done, see? And so I want you to be sure when you're answering the question, not for your friends, but for you to say, yes, my name, my name is Paul Phillips. I'm a Christian. So that's my goal, is that we would all leave with confidence. So I want to do this. I want to begin with verse 16. And just notice 
what it says here, the Spirit himself, so this is the Holy Spirit, bears witness or testifies or gives evidence. We all can think about this as uh, somebody coming up to the box in the courtroom and they're going to they're gonna give testimony. They're going to say, I saw something. I, I have some evidence to share here. And the Holy Spirit actually testifies with our spirit. This is our inner being. The Holy Spirit witnesses to us. It gives evidence that we are children of God. And so the broad answer to the question, how do you know if you are really a child of God, is that the Holy Spirit bears witness that, the, that you are a child of God, which immediately causes me to ask this question. Well, okay, what evidence is the Holy Spirit looking at? I mean, what is, when the Holy Spirit is, is looking around at my life and then confirming, hey, I've, Paul, I see this, I know this about you, and gives confidence to me, what is the Holy Spirit looking at to give confidence? That's the question I have here. Are you following along so far? Okay. So I want to say there's, there's four pieces of evidence here in this text that I want to provide that I hope give you confidence and that you have a sense that the Holy Spirit is giving evidence to your spirit so you can be confident. So for first piece of evidence, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That couldn't be any more clear. Here's the first evidence that you're a Christian, you're led by the Spirit of God. Now, again, when I hear that, now, again, this is just me, but I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm led by the Spirit of God. That, that sounds a little vague. That sounds a little fluffy. That sounds maybe a little mysterious. It's, it doesn't seem super concrete. I, I've, run, I've run into a lot of people that say, well, I'm led by the Spirit, and I'm just thinking, hmm, what Spirit? I mean, I'm not quite sure. And, and I, I, want to, I want something concrete for myself. Again, I'm, I, the Holy Spirit's witnessing to me I need something concrete, and we are so thankful for the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul is a concrete thinker. He doesn't want anybody to be confused. And so he tells you exactly what the Holy Spirit is looking for, and you notice it because it says in the very beginning of the verse, for, for, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So for points backwards. It's, he said something, and now he's making a conclusion. And so here's the real evidence that the, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and then confirming that you really are a child of God, and that is if by the Spirit you're putting to death the misdeeds of the body. That's the first concrete evidence. So are you, by the Spirit, putting to death the misdeeds of the body? Does, does, can the Holy Spirit testify to that? Can, can he say, I see this? Now, again, I'm not saying perfectly but, but you see it, you're at war with your sin. You're, you're putting these old loves, these old habits to death. You're, you're first just recognizing that you have them, and then you're working on some kind of plan, whatever that is. I, and we talked about this a lot last week. I'm getting help from God's word. I'm getting help from God's people. I mean, I'm putting these resources around me to really help me. 
Notice what he also says, that if you're a Christian, but you're not really at war, then you're fooling yourself. So one, one evidence is just that you're at war. You're at war with these old loves. I have these old loves, and they, they keep coming back up. And I was talking to a friend just last, last week, and I said, you know, when I was 23, I remember having much more success against this sin than right now when I'm 56. And that was discouraging to me. Like, I thought you could kind of, like, beat some of these things down, and then they're done. And guess what? Yeah, that doesn't work. They keep popping up. It's like whack-a-mole. They just keep popping up all over the place. But you got to just keep hammering them down. you got to keep working at this. And one reason I want to bring this point up, which is really a point from last week's sermon, which some of you have already clued in on, is that one thing that Paul doesn't say here, he doesn't say one of the proofs of being a child of God is that you're at war with other people's sin. Why do you chuckle? Because, you know, it's really easy to be at war with other people's sin. And Paul understands that that can be a masquerade, that can be an imposter, that you say, well, I'm really angry and I'm really worked up about their sin. And that must make me a child of God because I'm really hot about your sin. And you know, you can be really hot about somebody else's sin and not be saved. So Paul is just trying to say, hey, the evidence by the Holy Spirit is to your spirit. And it's about what you're doing. It's not about what other people are doing or not doing. Now, listen, I'm not saying, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be concerned about the sin that they see in the culture. They should be concerned about it. They should even be engaged in it. But what I am saying is that here in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is testifying that you're a child of God by hating your sin more than you hate somebody else's sin. Let me give you a couple of verses. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, the pastor, the the prophet, he's in the temple of God. He's running the service, and God shows up. And God comes down, and it says, the ground shakes, a voice calls out, the angels sing, holy is the Lord. And the first thing Isaiah says, remember what he says? Woe is me. He didn't say, oh, don't come now. My poor congregation's not ready for you. They've got so much sin they need to work on. No, he's first aware of his own sin. Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. So the first step in this evidence is that you really are drilled down on, you've got, a, you are the problem. And that you're fighting against that. Luke chapter 5, God, uh, Jesus pulls back his divinity in just a t- the tiniest of slivers. He, he, he has his disciples out on the boat. And, and he says, hey, why don't you guys put out on this side and catch some fish? And, of course, these disciples have a couple other boats with them. They, they put out, and however Jesus does it, he calls all the fish to jump in the net. And they can't even get all the fish in the boat. And Peter is standing right next to this power come out of Jesus. First thing he does, depart from me. 
I'm a sinner. The reason I want to point this out is to emphasize, to emphasize this point right now is because in our culture, in our popular culture, the currency that we run on, the currency we exchange is rage. You can listen to talk radio. You can listen to cable news. You can listen to the Republicans. You can listen to the Democrats. You can listen to the presidential nominees. Or you can listen to the president. But the currency many of them are using is rage. And so they say something outrageous. I was reading some news article last night. It was like 10 o'clock and I started getting enraged. I was like, I'm trying to go to bed. I've got to stop this. And that's the currency. And what they want to do is they want to weaponize that rage. And they want you to get enraged and then vote for them or buy into their ideas. And you can decide whether that's a successful game plan or not. But the truth is we're bombarded with this communication style. And it would be very easy to become very enraged at other people's sins and not your own. And the Holy Spirit doesn't give any witness to that, to your spirit. What he witnesses is how enraged you are at your own sin. And are you at war with your own sin? The evidence the Holy Spirit uses to confirm that you're a child of God is that you see yourself as the biggest problem. And I wonder if you see yourself as the biggest problem. I love the Apostle Paul. Again, very concrete. First Timothy, he's writing to his protege. He's going to take over the church. The very first, almost the very first line out of his letter. Here's a trustworthy saying. Okay, Apostle Paul, here's, I'm leaning in. He's, everything he says is trustworthy, but he, he's trying to say, here's really, really a trustworthy saying that, that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom, what does he say? I'm the worst. You hear that? From the Apostle Paul. He gets it. The Apostle Paul's biggest problem is the Apostle Paul. And that's why he's always saying, I beat my body. I make it my slave. I'm running the race. I'm like a, I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm a soldier. I'm a, a farmer. I'm doing all these things because I realize I'm my biggest problem. I'm not primarily enraged at the culture. I'm primarily enraged at me. And that needs to be my first target. And so I'm at war and he encourages us to be at war with our sin. So here's the first evidence. You're at war. Not, you're not winning every battle. But you're at war. You're trying, you see it. You're trying to stomp these things down. Then you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. Second thing, verse 15. For, again, circle this word, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
So here's a second uh, testimony the Holy Spirit gives to us is that we know we're adopted. We're part of the family. And you know you're adopted when you cry out, Abba, Father. You're not a Christian. If you don't cry out, Abba, Father, you're, you're, just, you, you, you're just going through the motions. But if it's gotten down in your soul and you just cry out, Abba, and you know this term, it's an Aramaic term that means daddy. There's, there's some connection to your soul. You're, you're, you're groaning, you're crying out and saying, daddy, can, can you hear me? Can you help me? And, and as a dad, there's no sweeter words, is there? Doesn't happen anymore, but when I came home 20 years ago, opened the door, daddy. Best, I mean, it's such a best sound. Then in the background, you hear, boom, boom, boom. Somebody cries. They come down the hallway, big tears, scrape on their knee. What are they saying? Daddy, I hurt myself. See, whether they come to me in delight or self-destruction, they come saying, Daddy, and they know. This is what they're going to get. I wonder if that's how you think about your relationship with Jesus. Whether you come to him in delight or you come in self-destructing modes that he can't wait for you to say, Daddy, and he throws open his arms and he's ready to embrace anybody who says, Daddy, Underline this little phrase. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. See, see whether you're coming towards God in delight or whether you've hurt yourself and you're coming in tears, you know that when I say, Daddy, there's, there's no condemnation. There's nothing that's going to separate. Daddy is always going to be running towards his child. And you know this from the prodigal son. Remember him? He squandered half of his dad's wealth. He cannot bring anything back except for his degradation. And when he gets on the far horizon, the dad blows it open and he races towards the sun. That's a picture of someone who's saved. They know they have a daddy. That what, no matter what condition they come at, he's saying, yeah, yeah, I'm here. My daughter, she's 26. She's, she's a little sneaky. Because she knows if she starts a question out with daddy, <laughs> if she just says, hey, you, so a couple months ago, I'm not handy. She comes to me and says, hey, can you, daddy, move a light, hang a mirror, and hang a door? Now, she said, can you... Just do it, Abby. Uh, honey, no. I mean, that's why you got married, isn't it? That the whole thing? <laughs> but she knows. She knows if she says, hey, Daddy, what, what does that do to my heart? I just want to say, don't, it doesn't matter what you say. Yes. Yes. Of course. Yes, I want to embrace that. And, and I'm so concerned that some of you here hate yourself. And therefore, you think God hates you. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
He's a daddy. He's willing to throw his arms open to people who are delighting to come in today and sing. And he's delighting for the sinner to come in and say, I've been self-destructive this week. Daddy, can you help me? When you do that, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. You're a child of God. Third piece of evidence that you're a child of God is that you live like an heir. You see this in verse 17. And if you are a child, then you're an heir. And in my Bible, and maybe yours, there's a little pause there, a line. It's like the writer wants to pump the brakes. Say, just don't, don't read too quickly here. This is such a massive reality I'm about ready to reveal that I need you to completely stop and try to absorb it. If you are a child of God, then you are an heir. And listen, this is massive. You're an heir of God and a fellow heir of Christ. Please do not read by too quickly. This is a a massive reality as you know the Lord that comes into your life. It's like, like a great big magnet. And it's so powerful, it's intended to pull you off the surface things of this world and plunge you into the riches of Christ. To really imagine that I am an heir of God Almighty. I mean, that's worth you just sitting at home today for an hour just thinking, I'm an heir of God. I'm going to inherit Whatever God has, I'm, I'm a co-heir with Christ. It's so big that we can't even get our minds around it. One, one piece of being an heir, just one tiny sliver, and I don't think the most important sliver of our inheritance is that we inherit the world. Turn back with me just to Romans chapter 4, verse 13. If you don't know, uh, Abraham was an Old Testament follower of Christ, and now everyone who follows Jesus is an is a offspring of Abraham. And then this is this promise, Romans 4.13. The promise to Abraham and his offspring, that's you and I, is that we would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, remember Corinthians, we talked about this, now it's been a year or more ago, that the church in Corinth was a church that lived on the superficial and the celebrity. So they had a bunch of pastors that came through their church, and they started picking off which one was really the better pastor. Let's hope that never happens here. But it just was a celebrity culture. Can you imagine living in a celebrity culture? Yeah, yeah, you can. And, and so they were stuck on the surface, and Paul's trying to pull them off the surface, say, guys, you're just totally stuck on the wrong thing. And this is how he says it to try to get them unstuck. Don't boast in men. And in other words, don't get caught up in the celebrity. All things are yours. Paul, Apollos, Peter, and he just kind of tosses this in the basket. I mean, Paul's yours, a Peter's yours, Apollos is yours, and the world. 
I'm like, you just read, you could just read right by that. What? Hold on. You, you mean all things are mine? The world is mine? Yes. The world is yours if you're a child of God. Again, just trying to figure out how to get your minds wrapped around this reality and how it should shape how you live. Let me use this illustration. Jeff Bezos, if you don't know that name, you know his company, Amazon. I dare say almost everyone here bought something from Amazon in the last 24 hours. I mean, I mean... <laughs> Maybe somebody right now, dang, I'm purchasing something right now. (laughs) His net worth, $165 billion. Last year, it was estimated, it's just hard to imagine, he made over $200 million every day. And I'm like, just give me one day, give me like half a day. Give me 15 minutes, I'll be okay. Now, try to imagine if you found out today that next week he's going to adopt you and you're going to be his heir. Now, how would that shape this week coming up? I mean, would I worry about the sod in my yard that's not doing too well? No. Would I worry that my car is 10 years old and I'm wondering if I should trade it in or buy another one or... I hate that, you know, this brakes are squeaking. I mean, I wouldn't even worry about these things. I mean, most of the things I worry about, I wouldn't even think about anymore. If I go in my closet and say, you know, I wear the same thing every Sunday. I mean, I should just try to get anything new. Would I worry about that? No. Why? I'm going to get $200 million a day. You and I, again, I cannot stress the massiveness of this reality. You are moments away from inheriting the world. And if you really believe that, it's going to shape how you live the next week. It's going to reframe everything you think about and how you think about your life because this is such a mist and such a temporary moment that I'm headed to uh, something beyond what Jeff Bezos could possibly provide. I'm going to get the world. And when that shapes your thinking and reframes your life, when you feel the shift away from the world and towards eternity... You know you're a Christian. Now look, things pop up on the screen. You think you need them right away, I understand. But you, you feel the shift. You're, you feel that I just, that thing that seems so important is just not that important because I'm going to get the world. And when that shift happens, the Holy Spirit testifies to say, see Paul, something's happening in your life. You're really a child of God. Final piece of evidence, verse 17. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellows of Christ, provided, or could be another if, if, if we suffer. Now, I, I really wish I could take a little eraser right here 
and just say, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ so that we may also be glorified with him. I'd be happy with that sentence. But what's the road between being bought by Jesus' blood, possessed by the Holy Spirit, and glorified with God? What's the little road that connects those two realities? It's the road of suffering. And if you want to get to glory, there's one narrow road to go through. There's not another way. If we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Exactly what Jesus told the disciples. If anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself. Take up his cross. Follow after me. Paul's not saying anything new here. Few things this suffering includes. Verse 13, it includes putting to death your sin. You have an old lover to put it to death? That's painful. That's suffering. And you might have to suffer yourself or you might have to suffer because you were with a different crowd and now you've got to move away and there's some kind of tension there now or some kind of break. There's going to be suffering Hebrews 12, 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, he chastens, or a better word is flogs everyone who is a son or daughter. See, it's so painful to get rid of idols, but God is a great dad, and he just isn't going to allow something to stand between you and him. And some of those idols to uproot are going to be painful. So one suffering is that the suffering of putting to death your old hungers, your own loves. The second suffering, you see this in verse 21, and we'll come to it in a few weeks. The creation itself will be set free from the bondage of decay. The creation is not just the world, it's me. I'm part of the creation I'm living in something that is in bondage to decay. What is that? That's my body. Anybody got a little pain here this morning? You're hoping the ibuprofen would take care of it? Anybody got a bigger pain than that? The, the body is, is moving south. You know this face app? You've seen this? I'm sure you've heard about it on the news. It gets connected to Russia and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, well, you take a picture of yourself. And I haven't done it, but then it tells you what you look like when you get old. I'm like, well, who wants this? I mean, I got a mirror to tell me that. I don't need an app. And gravity is having a powerful effect on me. And these old faces, nobody gets this face and goes, wow, that's awesome. I'm heading for that. No, they go like, holy cow. What can I do to stop that? I mean, the body is moving in a way that is going to cause pain. And there's going to be suffering. And 
You may have to suffer a bit more than somebody else. I don't know. But everybody's going to have to go through that road. The final piece of suffering that might come to you is persecution. Mark chapter 14, Jesus was facing that. All this weight of persecution. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting pressed down by the spiritual forces, the weight of sin that he's going to have to carry, the the pain that he's going to have to endure. And what does he say right at that moment? Daddy, I'm, I'm heading towards suffering. Do you see it? Do you care? Are you even there? But I know, I know you see it because you're my dad. And my dad would see all this. And he would care. And he would somehow take care of it. And even though it doesn't seem like he's going to take care of it in the way I would want to take care of it, I would want the cup to pass. He's going to take care of it in some way because I trust him. I'm not going to curse him. I'm going to trust him. And when you go through pain and suffering... And you don't shake your fist at God. Instead of you say, Daddy, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. That's what the Holy Spirit uses to testify to your spirit. And so these pains and sufferings that you're going through right now, we were going to pray that you get healed and that you get by them, but it may be the evidence that the Holy Spirit is going to be used to your soul so you can say, I know I'm a child of God. And that's worth a lot. The Holy Spirit gives evidence And so I want you to be confident. And I think you can be confident if you just know, you know what? I'm the worst sinner I know. And I need Jesus. And with him, I'm not afraid because there's no condemnation. And there's nothing I could have done in my past. There's nothing I'm going to do in my future that can ever create separation. I cry out. I cry out sometimes in delight, and I cry out sometimes in suffering. Abba, Father, I don't get it, but I trust you. I'm learning to to feel the shift away from the surface things of our world to the massive reality that I inherit the world. And I hate suffering. I I personally hate suffering. You do too. I hate suffering that I have to go through. I hate seeing other people have to suffer. But I'm not going to shake my fist at God. I'm going to trust. And when you do, you know. You know you're a child of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to shore up something here. I want to shore up a confidence that that can't be shaken in suffering. 
that, that can't be shaken in circumstance, that, that shifts our minds and our souls away from the surface things of this world and puts us on a, a different trajectory, that, that these three or 400 people would leave with confidence out into Wilmington, North Carolina, that they are a child of God. They're going to inherit the world and that even if they're going through suffering, they can cry out, Abba, Father. And know that you care. And know that they may have to drink a cup of suffering in between now and glory. But they would trust. So I want to shore that up. I hope that you would do that. I want to stir up anyone here who isn't sure to make sure they are before they leave. Lord, you, your Holy Spirit, come and testify, stir up, shake up our spirits, shore up our spirits with your wisdom, your knowledge, your testimony, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.